All right. Well, let's go ahead and take our Bible at this time. Thank you, ladies, for that. And I'm thankful for the prince in his hands, aren't you? Thankful for what he did for us on the cross. Take our Bibles and turn to the book of James. James. James chapter number one. And uh, today we start our new series through the book of James. And I'm excited about this and looking forward to uh, looking at these uh, different passages as we go through this very practical book, the book of James. James chapter 1, and we're only going to really study this morning verse number 1. So only one verse. Don't worry, we're going to not just do one verse every week. That'll be a while before we get through the whole, ch the whole book, if that's the rate we go. But no, we're going to just study one verse to start with this morning, and then next week uh, we'll be studying more. Um, but uh, James chapter 1, verse 1, and if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's Word. James 1, 1. The Word of God says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for the service thus far. It's been sweet to be in the house of God this morning. Lord, thank you for the wonderful testimony. Thank you for the, the, the wonderful songs. And Lord, thank you for the song we just heard about the Prince of the Nails. Lord, thank you that you're willing to go to the cross for us. But Lord, salvation is not the end. It's really just the beginning. God, help us to understand that as we go through the message today. Thank you for this book of the Bible, the book of James. And Lord, I pray that you would use it in each of our lives to draw us closer to you, to help us to put feet to our faith and to put our faith in motion to grow and to mature in our lives, to bear much fruit for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So as I said, today we are going to be starting a brand new journey together as a church family as we walk through this very practical book of James with the series we're calling Faith in Motion. And in this series, there will be a special emphasis on putting feet to our faith and that our belief should absolutely affect our behavior. And I do want to encourage you to make a decision even today, even right now, to be here for each and every message of this helpful series. I, I think that I really believe that all Scripture is profitable and is productive in our spiritual lives, and it's necessary to help us to grow and to mature into uh, who God wants us to be as believers. And this book in particular is extremely practical, and there's going to be uh, some really important lessons as we go through this book. So please plan to be here for each and every uh, service and every message in this series. Now, just so you know, the book of James emphasizes conduct more than creed. It has to do more with duty than doctrine, and, and, and not all the epistles are like that. This just happens to be one that is, is not as doctrinal, and it's more practical. And, and I know that a lot of us like doctrine. I like to hear doctrine, and, and so come, come Wednesday nights. I, I want to encourage everybody to come Wednesday nights to get grounded in doctrine. But, um, but this book is very practical. It's very down-to-earth. It's very where the rubber meets the road in the Christian life. And so I do want to encourage everybody to be a part of this. And I want to give you a heads up on the message uh, this morning. Uh, we're going to be in several different passages in the Word of God today. So 
Uh, and I really want to encourage you to turn there because I want to I want you to see them for yourselves in the scriptures. Uh, the, these these passages that we're going to be looking at throughout the message. So get ready to flip those pages. And uh, one of the sweetest sounds in a church is the turning of the scriptures. And so uh, let's have that sound go on quite a bit today as we uh, go through this message. And um, today we're going to actually be looking at the human author of this book. And, and just a reminder as we get ready to start this message here, um, we, we need to understand, first of all, that ultimately every word in the Bible is and was given by inspiration of God, that, that every word of God is, thus saith the Lord. Um, now, he did, the Bible tells us, he did use men to write these 66 books that make up the canon of Scripture. In 2 Peter 1.21, it says, Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. God used 40 different men to pen the Word of God that we hold in our hands today. Now, today we're going to look at the man whom the Holy Ghost moved to write this book of the Bible called the book of James and get an idea of who this guy really was. Now, as we look at James, he didn't exactly identify which James it was that wrote this book. And as you do a study of the New Testament, you'll find that there are four different James mentioned in the New Testament. We have first the Apostle James, and most of us are familiar with him. He was the son of Zebedee, and he was the brother of John the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was in that inner circle. He was the one who got to the, go to the Mount of Transfiguration. He was the one who was part of those, that, those inner three, Peter, James, and John. He was that one, the Apostle James. Uh, James and John were called by Christ, the, son of th the sons of thunder, if you remember that. And uh, this James, though, was killed in prison by Herod in Acts chapter number 12. The beginning of Acts chapter 12 records when the, the apostle James was, was martyred for Christ. And so that was the apostle James. But then there's also James, the son of Alphaeus, who is also referred to in places in the, in the Gospels as James the Less. Now, how would you like to be called your name, the Less? Uh, which really was a reference to the fact that he was probably younger. And so he, just to differentiate, you know, the Apostle James that we just mentioned, the Sons of Thunder, one of the Sons of Thunder, and James, the younger one. So he was referred to as James the Less. He was a son of Alphaeus, um, and he was another one of the disciples. Uh, Matthew is also referred to as the son of Alphaeus. So many believe that Matthew and that particular James the Less were brothers, and very well could be. And other than that, very little is known about that particular James. Um, so, uh, unlikely, it's very unlikely that he is the author of James. Uh, the Apostle James, um, most believe do, he did not write this book. And then there's James. Uh, thirdly, there's James, the father of Judas the disciple. Now, not Judas Iscariot that most of us think about. There's another Judas, uh, one of the disciples. And then there's James. So, James was the father of that particular Judas. And that's all we know about him. So unlikely that he was the one that wrote the, the scriptures or wrote the book of James. And finally, fourthly, there's James, the half-brother of Jesus. And this is the James that virtually every Bible scholar believes authored this book we'll be studying for the next several months 
and I happen to share their opinion. And uh, while he doesn't say that he's the half-brother of James, it's very clear as you look at his life in the New Testament and the book of Acts and uh, see how prominent he was in the early church, very likely God used him, the half-brother of Jesus, to pen this book. And so uh, this morning, I want to look at what the scriptures say about this man named James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ. If you would turn to Matthew chapter number 13, and as I said, we're going to look at just several passages very quickly. We're not going to stay and study many of them. We're, I just want you to see it for yourself and not just take my word for it. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, and then verse number 55 in Matthew 13, Jesus goes through several different kingdom parables. And at the end of them, they were kind of blown away by what Jesus was teaching there. And at the end of it, they said, Is not this, verse 55, the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren, and here is James' name there, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. So they thought, isn't, isn't this the one who his family included uh, James and Joseph and Simon and, and his mother Mary and his father was the carpenter, Joseph? And so here James is referenced as one of Jesus' brethren. Now, we know that he wasn't a full-blood brother uh, because no one could be a full-blood brother to Jesus Christ because... His father was not Joseph. His father was God the Father. And he was born of the Virgin Mary. Yes, he was the son of Mary, but he was the son of God, not the son of Joseph. He was the stepson of Joseph, so to speak. So, uh, James here was the half-brother of Jesus Christ, and we find that here in Matthew 13. If you go to Galatians chapter number 1, verse number 19... And I'm going to go ahead and read there. If, you, if I read it before you get there, that's okay. We'll move on to the next one. But Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 19, Paul's writing to the churches of Galatia. And he says, but, of the other, but other of the apostles saw I none, save John, James, the Lord's brother. So James is here referenced to being the Lord's brother. And again, we know he was the half-brother of Jesus. Mark chapter number 6 is another reference and if you want to flip over there very quickly, again, I hope your sword drill uh, skills are, are sharp today. And if they're not, maybe they will be by the end of the service. But Mark chapter 6, it says in verse number 1, He went out from thence, came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? What wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. And so here uh, we find Jesus, James mentioned again in the family uh, of Jesus Christ. So Jesus was the first child that Mary gave birth to. And then, by the way, she gave birth to many other children. We have the record of James, Joseph, Judah, Simon. So four boys. And then it says, and, not her, and are not his sisters here with us. So at least uh, two girls, 
So Mary had uh, four boys other than Jesus and two, two girls at least, and perhaps many more. Okay, so by the way, that also does prove that Mary was not a perpetual virgin uh, like the Catholic Church teaches. Um, Luke chapter 2 and verse number 7, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to just read it. It says, and she brought forth her firstborn son, the Bible says. Okay, not, not just her son, but her firstborn, which indicates that she gave birth to many other sons as time went on. Okay, so we have identified this man, James, but I want to look at how he went from a skeptic to a servant, and that's the title of the message today. Uh, he went from a skeptic to a servant. And first I want us to see, number one here, the conversion of James. The conversion of James. How did James become a Christian to the point where he's writing a book of the New Testament? I mean, he literally grew up with Jesus as his half-brother. When and how did he become a follower of Christ? Now, certainly, he must have always believed on Jesus as Christ, right? No, actually, as we do a little further study, there was a definite point in his life when the change took place. And you would think that because he lived with Jesus and, and grew up with him, he would believe right away after it was clear that Jesus was the Messiah. Nope. Sadly, the environment doesn't equal belief. Well, as parents, we should do our best to create an environment that is conducive for our children to believe. A choice still needs to be made, and that was true in the life of James. And so, as we look at his conversion, I want us to look at, first of all, his doubt. Letter A, his doubt. And here's a passage I do want you to turn to, John chapter number 7. John chapter number 7. The Bible says in verse number 1 of John chapter number 7, it says, After these things Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand, his brethren. Verse number 3 says, Now who was one of his brethren? Well, James was one of his brethren. So James was included in verse number 3 and throughout this passage here. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence, and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself uh, to the world. Now, there was a little sarcasm in their, in their verbiage here, in their tone, I'm sure, as they said all of this, because the Bible says in verse number 5, For neither did his brethren believe in him. So at this point in James' life, in John chapter 7, James did not believe in him. James did not think that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, that he was indeed the Christ. So James, one of Jesus' brethren, did not believe him. There was definite doubt in his life. Now, I can imagine James and Joseph and Simon, Judas and the sisters, as they were growing up, knew that there was something a little different about Jesus. Right, And how he was always perfect in every way and totally sinless, and he never got in trouble. And, and, and I, I don't know if mom and dad compared them to their older brother. You know, how come you can't be more like Jesus? And of course, Jesus was the Son of God, so it's uh, impossible to be totally perfect like him. But 
Uh, I imagine that that got old, and uh, maybe they got jealous of who he was. Perhaps similar to maybe if you go in your mind back all the way to the book of Genesis, where we have the story and the account of uh, Joseph and how he was despised by his brothers. And, and there's a lot of similarities as you go through the life of Joseph and the life of Christ. And, and, and the life of Joseph was actually a picture, a type of what Jesus would be the ultimate fulfillment of. But yeah, his, his brothers, I'm sure, uh, kind of over the fact that Jesus was so good and always right and always perfect and he never failed any test and he never, he, he, he never got in trouble. He was always doing what mom and dad wanted him to do and, and on and on it went. And so as a result, they chose to disbelieve. I mean, and I suppose it would be difficult to believe that your own brother was the Messiah, I got to thinking about me and my brother. I only have one brother, no sisters. So it was just the two of us growing up in the house. And, and uh, my, my brother, Mike, he's four and a half years younger than I am. And, and uh, I can just imagine looking at him going, you're the Messiah? Yeah, right. Or him looking at me and saying, you're the Messiah? Please uh, spare me. And, uh, and, and I can imagine that James, as he looked at Jesus, was going, okay, you're different, but I wouldn't go that far that, to say that you're the Messiah. And so at this point in his life, he, was, he did not believe. Now, now, here's the deal. He literally lived with Jesus. He was around Jesus for years, uh, seeing him and hearing him and, and, and just experiencing life with him. And, and yet he still did not believe. This goes to show that being around Jesus doesn't mean that you are a believer. And it's entirely possible that someone could grow up around the things of God and still not believe. I was thinking about Eli's son in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse number 12. It says, Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial, and they knew not the Lord. Now, Eli was a priest, and his sons helped him do the work of God and do the work of a priest, and they, they helped with the sacrifices, and they were around the things of God day in and day out, and yet they still did not know the Lord. So, friend, it's entirely possible for you to be in this place today, to be around the truth, but still have not ever accepted the truth for yourself. My question for you is this. Have you accepted the truth for yourself? Or are you like James, around the truth, but have not applied the truth to your life? Uh, James was around it. He got to experience it. He got to um, be in the same home with Jesus for years. And he still chose not to believe. Jesus said it would be like this, though. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, he said, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So look, being around the things of God, doing the things of God, while wonderful, while good, that's not enough, my friend. You must believe for yourself. Have you believed for yourself? James was around Jesus. I mean, how close can you get and still not believe? James was there. 
And he knew that Jesus was so powerful, and so he was part of the brethren who were like, hey, why don't you go and show off your big skills, Mr. Big Guy? James chapter 7, or John chapter 7. See, he didn't believe. He was skeptical. And I was thinking even it's easy to kind of look down on James because he was so close to it. But you know what? As I looked at my own life, I attended church for 12 years of my life. And I got to hear the gospel over and over and over again. And I was around it. I was exposed to it. But I hadn't personally made the decision to trust Christ as my Savior personally. I can't help but think there might be somebody in here today who, that's your situation. You've heard the gospel. Maybe you've been in church all your life, but you've never made that decision to place your faith in Christ. Today can be that day, my friend. And may I encourage you to let it be today because, uh, look, none of us are guaranteed another day. We need to make sure we're ready. James, he had his doubt, but then it didn't stay with that because we know we, spoiler alert, he became a Christian and wrote the book of James. But how did that happen? Let's look at, secondly, his decision. What led to the decision for him to believe, to change his mind on who Jesus was? If you would, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. In verse number 1, Paul says this, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. And then notice this. Now he, Paul talks about the different appearances that the resurrected Christ made. In verse number 5, he says, And he was seen of Cephas, and then of the twelve. So he was seen of Peter. And then he was seen of the twelve. And then verse 6, After that he was seen of about five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. And then notice verse 7, after that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And we would think, oh, James, he was the brother of John. That's the one he saw. No, it says he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. So here I really believe, and most Bible scholars do, that, that this James was his half-brother. That after Jesus rose from the grave, he, had, he was on a mission. He went to go find Peter. He went to go find uh, the 500 brethren that got to see him. But then he wanted to go see his half-brother James. And so he goes. And James, no doubt, had heard that Jesus died on the cross, that Jesus was dead. He was buried in some, some rich guy's tomb somewhere. And, and uh, his brother is gone and dead. And he goes and says, James... How's it going? I'm alive. James must have been, what in the world are you doing here? I thought you were dead. I saw you die on the cross, and I heard that you were buried. How are you alive right in front of me right now? But that appearance 
When, when, when James recognized that, that Jesus was not no longer dead, but that he was risen, that completely changed his entire life. That was his moment of decision. It doesn't say it exactly, but you can just speculate that that appearance right there completely changed everything for him. Once he realized that Jesus was not in, a, in the grave, but that he was risen and that he was victorious over death, hell, and the grave, it completely changed everything. He placed his faith in him, not just as his brother, but now as his Savior, now as his Messiah, now as his Lord. And it was all different. No longer did he look at him as that brother that never did wrong and that was, he was always being compared to, but now he's looking at him as his Savior. And now his sins are forgiven, and now he's a part of the family of God. His decision. Has there been a decision in your life when you've recognized what Jesus has done for you and you've applied that to your life? Has there been a decision in your life for me, as I mentioned, it was when I was 12 years old on Christmas night when I placed my faith in Jesus Christ, when I recognized, hey, I need to make this decision. And I'm thankful that I did, and I've never regretted that decision. I'm just so very thankful I made that, his decision. But then that decision, it didn't stop there because thirdly, I want us to see his devotion. And let's turn to Acts chapter number one. You say, how do we know that he got saved? Because of Acts chapter number 1, where, where we find him after the ascension. Acts chapter 1, verse number 13, the Bible says, well, verse number, uh, verse number 9, it says, um, He was taken up, a cloud received him out of their sight, so Jesus ascends up to heaven. And then here the angels give some encouragement in verses 10 and 11. Verse 12, they returned uh, then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James. This is, this is the apostle James, not the same half-brother of James, okay? Where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus. He's James the less. <laughs> and then Simon Zelotius and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and notice this, and with his brethren. So James, he got saved, and, and, and now he went, no doubt, to the rest of his brothers and sisters and said, okay, Jesus, you know how he kept saying he was the Son of God? He really is the Son of God because I saw him. He is risen from the grave like he said he would. And so they all believed, and now the whole family is gathered in the upper room praying. So James becomes a man of prayer. In fact, according to one church historian, he was so much a man of prayer that his knees became callous because of much prayer. And we know he highly valued prayer because later in his letter he highlighted the importance of prayer with the famous verse that all of us are familiar with, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. See, James wasn't just telling others what to do, but he himself was practicing it as well. He was a man of prayer. And uh, he was a man of prayer and devotion for not only his half-brother, but more importantly for his Lord and Savior. Now, quite a change took place in his life. 
So praise the Lord for his conversion that went from skeptic to saint. There's another change that took place in his life. He then goes to a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So notice with me secondly here, and I need to, I need to hurry. I see time. You don't have to look. I'm looking. But number two, let's look at the calling of James. The calling of James. Back in James 1, if you need to flip back there, I know I do. James 1, 1 says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, salvation wasn't the end for James. It was actually a new beginning. You see, he got a brand new purpose for his life after his salvation. He had a new calling. A couple aspects about this that I want to look at very quickly here. First, I want us to notice his title. His title. In verse number one, it says, James, a servant. He called himself a servant. Hey, James, you're the Lord's half-brother. Why didn't you say that? Why didn't you go and broadcast that you were the Lord's half-brother? Certainly everybody would have respected you then. But he doesn't do that. He says, James, a servant. And again, I suppose it would have been tempting to play that card over and over again, walking into rooms. Excuse me, I don't know if you know who I am, but uh, I am the Lord's half-brother. I grew up with him. Mom compared me to him over and over and over again. But you just need to know, I grew up with him. So, uh, yeah. Can I have a discount on my cheeseburger? Or whatever. Um, if I was James, I would have been tempted to do that. But instead, he, his title was servant. Now, notice here he said he was not just a servant. He was a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, James growing up knew Jesus as just Jesus. That's what he called him. He didn't call him Lord. I mean, no one would have ever done that. Maybe mockery, oh yeah, Lord. But James, he didn't do that. He called him Jesus, and that's all he knew him as growing up. But after his conversion, after his salvation, after he placed his faith in Christ, that all changed, and now he's calling him the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the word Christ means Messiah, and he, he's recognizing the fact that Jesus isn't just simply his half-brother, but he was the promised Messiah that fulfilled all those Old Testament prophecies regarding the Messiah. So he's acknowledging the fact that Jesus is indeed the Christ. But then he doesn't just call him a servant of Jesus Christ. He says the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So now he's not only just saying, I believe that he's the Christ, but I'm also submitting to his authority in my life. And again, for him being a half-brother of Jesus, that was a big deal for him to say, hey, I'm going to come underneath the authority of my half-brother. But he recognized he wasn't just my half-brother. He is the Son of God. He is God in human flesh that come down to uh, save us from our sins. And so, yes, I want to submit myself to His authority and let Him be the Lord of my life. I read about uh, the Apollo 15 moon mission and from July 26th to August 7th, 1971. And some of you uh, might remember this. It was a little before my time. But the eyes of millions of Americans were on the Apollo 15 moon mission. 
And you may remember the astronauts named David R. Scott and James B. Irwin. Uh, these men landed on the moon and spent 18 of their 66 hours there outside the spacecraft. And I think we have a photo of that. And they covered over 17 miles of the surface in a specialized vehicle people dubbed the moon buggy. Now, upon returning to Earth, James Irwin, a professed Christian believer, declared, he said, as I was returning, I realized that I am not a celebrity, but a servant. So I am here as God's servant on planet Earth to share what I have experienced that others may know the glory of God. Now, most of us will never attain the status of a James B. Irwin, but all of us can have the spirit he possessed, the spirit of a servant. Now, now, James could have used his relationship to Jesus as a celebrity status. And again, like I would have maybe been tempted to do, but that's not what he did. He said, choose to, chose to be known as a servant. There's a uh, friend that uh, when, when Julie and I were in California, I served on staff at a church there. And there was a, there was a man in that church. And Julie will know who I'm talking about by the name of Bill Durfee. He's in heaven now. He was older when he was a part of the church that we were there uh, in. Um, but he had a ministry going to nursing homes, and he led Bible studies and led music with his guitar. He always bring his guitar and several uh, books that had like the songs written in there and in large print for those in the nursing homes to be able to read. And... Uh, and, and he did this on a regular basis, and, and he really was a true servant of the Lord. In fact, he even had business cards made up that said under his name, it said Bill Durfee, and under, under his name it said Servant of Jesus Christ. Do you remember that? He, he was such a good man, and I was talking to one of the other men that I served on staff with uh, about this, and uh, he, he pointed out, he's like, I don't remember the business cards, but he did have a bumper sticker on, it, on the back of his card that said, If God is your co-pilot, switch seats. <laughs> I'm like, that's, that's, uh, that sounds a lot like Brother Durfee. But see, like James, Brother Durfee understood the importance of allowing Jesus to be Lord of your life, and the highest privilege in the world is to be called a servant of Jesus Christ. May we follow that example in the, in, from James and also from Brother Durfee. So we see his title, but then I want us to see, secondly, his testimony. James called himself a servant, and anyone can call themselves a servant. Anyone can call themselves whatever title, title they want to call them, but does, does, does your life back it up? Did, did James' life back it up? The, the answer is absolutely. And uh, I have a few references here for sake of time. I'll just give you those references, let you look at them when you get a chance. Acts chapter 12, verse 17. Acts chapter 15. 14 through 21, and then Acts 21, verse 8. I really wanted to go through these and show you the different instances that James was used in the early church. He was one of the prominent leaders of the early church. He was, according to Paul, one of the pillars of the early church. So it wasn't just a title that he gave himself. He lived it out. He was a true servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's easy to call ourselves a servant, but does your life back it up? Talk is cheap. And as we say sometimes, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks 
way louder than your talk talks. So does your walk say that you are a servant of Jesus Christ? I hope the answer is yes. If not, today's the day to make that change. Uh, I was thinking about the Apostle Paul this week, and when he had his conversion experience on the road to Damascus, one of the first things that he asked Jesus is, Lord, what are you going to do for me? For those who know the story of Acts chapter 9, that's not what he said. He said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? But a lot of Christians are like, okay, Lord, here's what I need you to do for me. But the Apostle Paul, the moment he got saved, it was all about, Lord, what can I do for you? How can I serve the one who has completely and radically changed my life? And so the Apostle Paul was a servant. This this brother here, James, was a servant. May all of us decide to be a servant. May all of us have that same mentality. Lord, what will thou have me to do? Someone once rightly said this, every church is filled with willing people. Some willing to work, and others willing to let them work. (laughs) Let's be a church filled with people who are all willing to work, willing to serve, willing to be servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see his calling, but then very quickly, number three here, the concern of James. Back in James chapter 1 and verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, And here's what his concern was to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. So there was a concern in the heart of James that God used to move him to write this epistle. Let's consider first his audience. His audience was the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. And again, I have a couple references here. We're not going to take the time to go there. But Acts chapter 2 verse 4 and Acts chapter 8 and verses 1 and 4, how those believers, those early Christian believers were scattered abroad and uh, because of persecution. And, and, and now his, he's concerned about them and he wants to give them some instruction and help them and to encourage them in, in the way of the Lord. And so he writes, this, he writes this letter and he's concerned about the audience. And then uh, secondly, his aim. Why did he write to the scattered Hebrew Christians? Well, obviously, we know the Holy Spirit moved him to do so, but his aim was to help these believers grow and mature in their faith, and that faith should produce works in their lives. And and when we're truly abiding in Christ, which is our theme for this year, that when we do that, we're going to bear fruit, and fruit that will remain. And and, and here James is saying, look, I want to write to you, and I want to encourage you, uh, that, hey, you're going to experience some trials, and, and I want to talk to you about your, your words and, and your tongue. That's James chapter 3. Aren't you looking forward to getting there? That's always a convicting passage for everybody. And James chapter 2, it's all about uh, faith and works and faith without works being dead. And then James uh, chapter 4 is um, talking about drawing nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. And and, and so many different passages that I'm looking forward to studying. But ultimately, James was hoping that the Christians he was writing to would grow and mature in the Lord. And look, the moment of our salvation, again, that's not the end. That's really the beginning. And we can't stop growing as a Christian. And for those who've been saved for decades, look, you're not done growing. You, you've not arrived For those who are just brand new Christians, look, let's keep growing, and we're all growing. God's still working on all of us. 
And so that was the aim that he had here. And I just want to point out one, one last word here in this, in, this, in this verse. And it's the last word of the verse, and that is greeting. Now, the Greek word for greeting here is uh, kahiro, um, which means to be full of cheer, to rejoice. And so as he's getting ready to go into the actual instruction, first he greets those, these, these believers with a very positive tone in his voice. It's not this, yeah, yeah, greeting, let's get that out of the way and let me get into it. He's like, hey, I want to let you know I have the joy of the Lord in my heart. And, and I'm looking forward to sharing some things that I think will really help you grow in your life. So, greeting. And there was very a, a, an uptick to his tone. It wasn't this greeting. Now, let's correct some things. No, it was, hey, greeting. I, I'm going to tell you some things that I think will really bless your life if you apply it to your life. And why did he have so much joy in his life? Well, again, I, I believe it's because of his conversion. Because of what... God did in his life, and because of his calling, that he was called to be a servant, and he enjoyed serving the Lord. There is joy in serving the Lord. I can attest to it. Is it work? Is it hard? Yes, sometimes it all is those things, but ultimately it is great. It brings you great joy to be able to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. James understood that. So, this guy went from a skeptic to a servant. And I can't help but think perhaps there's a skeptic in here this morning, someone who's doubted. Can I encourage you to place your faith in Jesus Christ today? Today's the day of salvation, not tomorrow, not someday, today. To place your faith in Christ. Look, Jesus has risen from the dead. The tomb is empty and multitude of eyewitnesses stand as infallible proof that Jesus lives and that he is the only way to be forgiven of your sin. So trust Him today and be saved. And to my brothers and sisters in Christ, can I encourage you to indeed be servants of God in your, not your just your title, but in your testimony. May, may God use us to accomplish much for His glory if we would just simply serve and not worry about who gets the credit. Make sure that He gets the credit. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank You for this man, James, and for the journey that as we do a little inspection and study in the Word of God, we see what you have done in his life. And God, his story is similar to many, similar to mine. Lord, I was around church. I was around the truth, the gospel for many years. And it took 12 years of hearing the gospel before it clicked, before I really understood it and made that decision. I wonder if there's somebody in here today who maybe has heard the gospel multiple times Maybe this is their first time here. Maybe, uh, Lord, I pray that you would take them from skeptic to servant today. Help them to get saved. And God, I pray that you'd help, help us all as believers to understand the high privilege it is to be a servant of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Help us, Lord, to not just say, well, I don't do that and I don't do this but to say, hey, I, I want to do whatever it takes. Lord, what will thou have me to do? To jump in to the action and not just let other people do it.